Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Uh, this week, uh, and I'm sure it's, it's true of some of you, uh, Rockingham County mailed out their invitations for uh, homeowners and property owners to participate in the budget process this year. Uh, if you haven't gotten yours, I'm sure it's on the way. Uh, but that got me thinking a little bit, uh, like, what does it mean to be a good citizen? Like, because that's part of being a citizen of Rockingham County. Well, what's the essence of being a good citizen? I mean, would, would you think about... Uh, you know, paying your invitation from Rockingham County or voting or uh, serving community service. What would make that list for you today? Being a good citizen. Uh, Pew Research Company actually wanted to find this out. And so in 2018, they conducted a survey asking this very question, what were the marks of being a good citizen in our United States context? Uh, 74% of people, 74% said that it was very important to vote in elections. Like, that's low-hanging fruit, right? Like, that's a very American idea of voting, taking part in that process. 71% said that it was very important, and I, I don't know why they had to emphasize very, very important to pay the taxes that you owe. Uh, that's that invitation that many of us just received here not so long ago. 69% of people uh, said that it was very important as a good citizen to follow the laws. Now, I'm a little confused at this one. Because there's no way 69% of the people that I commute with on 340 and 33 are obeying the speed limit. It's just not statistically possible. So there must be like some exclusion in this question. I haven't figured that out yet. Uh, But 69% said obeying the laws, excerpt, maybe speed limits, whatever. Uh, Some other things that made the list, this idea of being a good citizen. Serving on jury duty. There were no amens in first service either. Um, respecting the opinions of others with whom you may disagree, volunteering, serving, giving back to help others. So there's this idea, you're like, where are you going with this? Just hang with me. There's this idea that that being a good citizen, uh, we collectively have values and we accept certain responsibilities uh, that guide our lives, that we contribute in, that we lean into, and there's anticipation there that we will be good citizens. And as we continue uh, in our teaching series, the Apostle Paul, uh, he's going to challenge us to see that the citizenship that matters most in our lives has nothing to do with speed traps, uh, special elections, or invitations to pay your portion of taxes. The most important thing for us to live our lives by has nothing to do with our home address, but rather with our citizenship in heaven. That's the call 
to live the Jesus life is to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So with that, I want to welcome you back to our teaching series, Living the Jesus Life. We're in the midst of a nine-week journey through the letter of Philippians, and uh, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul as he was imprisoned there in Rome, and, and we believe that he may have even been chained to the guard that was overseeing him, and those of us with space issues, uh, that really freaks us out, right? Like that is a, a confinement, a, a under authority, under watch that we're not quite accustomed to. Uh, so that's the Apostle Paul writing uh, to his friends there in Philippi, and he loves them, and, and his love and affection for them come through through his encouraging words in his letter. And, and they met, they, they kind of crossed paths, if you will, some 10 years before this letter was written. Uh, you might say they had an instant connection uh, because as Paul met them, God moved mightily in the hearts of the people there in Philippi. And, and following that initial encounter, they would go on to, to continue to support his ministry efforts, to continue to support uh, the gospel spread as Paul was on his missionary journeys. And so Paul, he, he begins his letter, and it really has the savor of a thank you card. Uh, it has a savor of, of gratitude and thanksgiving, and he's expressing gratitude for their most recent display of support and love to him. And, and he lets them know that he's praying for them often, and that he's praying that their love would abound, would overflow, and be guided by wisdom and discernment and that they would show the fruits of intimacy with Christ. That's the substance of what he desires in his prayers for them. And after this initial greeting, he shares some updates about kind of how things are, are going with him because remember, there's no FaceTime, <laughs> no email. Like this was the way that they kept up with one another. And so uh, he fills them in on kind of how it's going, on what's happening. And, and as he continues, he moves from updates and greetings and filling them in he moves to instructions and practical guidance for what he has heard is happening there in the church in Philippi. So that's where we're going to begin today at verse 27 of chapter 1. So if you have your copy of scripture, I invite you to turn. Uh, it will be also on the screen this morning. So Philippians chapter 1, we're going to read 27 and 28, then stop to unpack a little bit. So whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then wh whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And so as Paul opened up the letter, as he began, he shared some of the challenges that he was facing. Uh, but as he continues here, uh, he's beginning to address some of the challenges that the church is facing. And now nothing in this, so kind of a spoiler alert, uh, there's nothing in this letter that's going to tell us exactly what the challenges were that they were facing. Uh, it's kind of like we have a, a one-sided, you get to hear one side of a phone call. You can piece bits and parts of it together, but you might not know the whole story. And that's a little bit what we have here as we try to consider what the opposition was. We have one side of the story. And so, but what we see in what many scholars believe is that the opposition the church was facing was from the Roman Empire, from outside the church. And so that persecution was making its way, that resistance and opposition was affecting uh, the relationships and their effectiveness in the gospel message. You might say they were a church under pressure. 
So today, as we unpack this in our current context, uh, we want to hear Paul's call. We want to hear his emphasis when he says whatever happens or one thing, we want to tune our ears to hear the advice that he gives, to hear our part uh, in focusing on the gospel of Christ and how that will shape our lives together as followers of Jesus. Because while the challenges can certainly be different than what they were there in Philippi, there are challenges to the church yet today. So this is a very relevant and important message for us today. So let's pray together as we dive in. Uh, Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the Apostle Paul's words. Uh, Lord, we thank you for his heart. And Lord, that you have preserved for us that we too can share in this truth today. So Lord, uh, the, the same spirit that you empowered the Apostle Paul with there in a Roman jail cell, Lord, the same spirit that you uh, spoke to him and he authored this letter with is alive and within us today. And so, Lord, we want to hear your spirit today communicate the truth to our hearts and for our lives. And so, Lord, help us to hear what you were saying through Paul 2,000 years ago. Help us to apply that truth to our lives today. Lord, we need you. We are your people. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, already we've heard a little bit about how it's going for Paul, uh, what's been happening, and, and you can see the way he's looking at life is a little bit different. Uh, as he unpacks what's happening, his imprisonment, the opposition he's facing, he makes it very clear that there's no sad stories for him. You know, because we would want to look at uh, being beaten and shipwrecked and having scars uh, from the abuse that he's endured and, and being locked up in prison, chained to another person. We would look at that and want to say, boy, that story ain't going so hot, right? But no, no, he says, no, 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 no sad stories here because the gospel of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. And so we can already tell that Paul is thinking differently. He views his entire life through the lens of Jesus Christ and what's happening in that kingdom. And so that's where he places his first instruction for the people there in Philippi. He, he begins with focus. You see it in verse 27. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so he is focusing, because some translations here in yours may have, this was NIV, uh, some translations will say just one thing, or no matter what. And so there's this idea that he's focusing, this is the highest priority as he's beginning his exhortation to them. Of all the other things, focus on this. And he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves. And that really is one word there in the original language, and it's, it's kind of unique. Uh, this idea of conduct yourselves, it has implications uh, for how we act and how we live. Uh, parents, we have this conversation a lot, don't we? You're headed out the house to go to church or to school, and you have to set the expectations for conduct. Now, whether they're 3, 13, or 33, like this conversation stays the same, right? So as we're going, uh, now you need to have good listening ears. We need to have kind hands. We need to listen and be kind to mommy. But you see, we're, we're setting expectations before we ever depart. And so what the Apostle Paul's doing here is a little bit like that. He, he's setting the, the expectation of conduct. But in the original language, they would have heard uh, a reference to how they lived as citizens. So this word really meant how they conducted themselves as citizens of a particular state. For instance, Rome. 
You see, we, we've talked a little bit about how Philippi was a very patriotic and loyal city. Uh, they, they were about 800 miles away. Now, in the time before phones and internet, like, that's a fur piece from here, okay? So they're 800 miles away from Rome, but yet they use the same language. They have the same governmental structure. They refer to their leaders the same way. Uh, essentially, in Philippi, 800 miles from Rome, they're living as if they were in Rome. And they were proud of that. Like, that's, that's part of what made them unique. And, and so what Paul is doing, he's making a play on that idea. He says, rather than living as citizens of Rome, live as citizens of heaven. Live as a colony of heaven. What shapes your thinking, what shapes your acting, how you speak, how you engage is your relationship with Jesus. You are a citizen of heaven in Christ. To share those values, the kingdom of heaven that says, love your enemies. Live as a citizen of heaven here on earth. The kingdom that says, bless those who persecute you. Live as citizens of heaven. And so he's painting this picture that they are to live a life worthy of the name Jesus Christ as being good citizens of heaven right where they find themselves. And, and that idea of worthy, if you were to Google that this morning, you would find a definition that says something like uh, worthy is having or showing the qualities or abilities uh, that merit recognition in a specific way. So you're, he's, he's saying, live your life in such a way that people recognize your citizenship to heaven. They're going to recognize your Roman citizenship because of the way you, you all do things in Philippi. But live your life in such a way that people recognize your citizenship is eternal. It's of heaven. Worthy. This idea of living life with the same weight as Jesus. That's the essence of the Jesus life. And as you, as you consider this and you hear Paul's language, it, it, it rings so closely with the way Jesus taught us to pray. You remember uh, Jesus' disciples, they, they wanted to know how to pray. And when they asked him, they said, teacher, teacher, teach us how to pray. He gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Right? He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Listen to what comes next. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so Jesus taught his disciples to pray, to ask the Lord that his governing power, that his authority, his kingdom would come. That it would be true right there. That his desires, his will, his thinking would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the business of earth would look just like heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. And that's how the Apostle Paul is telling the Christians in Philippi to live. And that's the exhortation we hear today. Live as citizens of heaven. Wherever you find yourself. Whatever your zip code Live as citizens of heaven. When we begin to pray this way, when we begin to live this way with a single-hearted focus on Jesus Christ and his kingdom, uh, the Apostle Paul knows that there's some good things that are going to happen. There's going to be a transformation in our lives and in our relationships. Listen, listen to how he keeps going uh, here in the text 
He, he says, I will know. So he said, live your life as citizens of heaven. He's in a jail cell with no FaceTime or email. He won't be able to hear unless a letter carrier goes back and forth. But listen to what he knows will be true, what he expects will happen if they're focused on living worthy of Christ. He says, I will know. I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So this is a given. Paul knows that that's how their lives are going to be shaped and how their life together is going to be impacted. He knows that when you come together that you're going to be in unity together because we are in the same spirit. The same spirit that lives in me lives in you and lives in you and you. You see, we're in one spirit in Christ. He knows that there will be unity. He knows that we will strive together. And this idea uh, was originally of like an athletic contest of working together to complete the goal, to complete the mission. And so they're locking arms together, leaning in, straining with one goal and one purpose, leveraging their strength to see this fulfilled. That's Paul's vision for the church, for us as followers of Jesus. So when we come together in that kind of unity, we also don't need to fear any enemy. When there is unity, we don't need to fear the enemy. We don't veer off course or off mission because of opposition because we are one in Christ Jesus. Because fear has a way of distracting us, of distorting our thinking. And you would witness this. If there was just a little harmless black snake that went across through here, me and Chuck Thomas would be out. Because you see, fear captures our attention. It veers what we're thinking, what we're supposed to be doing. It captivates us, and we can't concentrate. And that would be, service would be over until we got that snake dealt with. I'm just saying. And those of y'all are laughing, maybe it's the spider would come down from the ceiling for you. Whatever it is. You see, fear has a way of, of captivating our focus, of veering us off what we're called to be doing. But he's saying, no, no, no. In unity, in one in Christ, you don't have to fear the opposition. Because you are together as one in Christ. Do you want to be a part of a church like that? <laughs> like look at the beauty, the power of what he's saying. That when we focus, when we live our lives as citizens of heaven, when we come together, that's the community essence that we have because of Christ. Do you want to be a part? Like that doesn't fear opposition, the challenges that face our world and our church. We don't have to fear. Do you want in? Because, because the, the way we step into that is not a Google search for good churches. It's by being the church. It's about living into the reality that is ours. It's like an inheritance in Christ. When we're focused on him and we have the same mind and we strive together, that's the beauty of what happens. That's church. It's not an addressed location. We meet here, yes, but you're the church. And this is our DNA in Christ. This is what Paul knows will be true whether he hears or not. That we'll be in one spirit, 
striving together in unity. We will not be veered off course by the opposition. Friends, it starts with you and it starts with me surrendering. Living the focus of our lives center on Jesus. And committing to come together as the body of Christ. And living into the reality of unity. I think Paul wants us to begin here and to consider this because he's expressed, he's painted this beautiful portrait of the church of what life is like because he also knows one more mark of citizenship that's coming. That's the mark of suffering. Let's look at how he completes this passage here in 29 and 30. He says, for it has been granted to you, this is the idea of it's been gifted to you. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. As it's been given to you to believe in Christ, to experience life in him as only he can give, so also it has been gifted to you the grace to suffer for him. I don't know that we often view the gift of suffering that way, right? It's the gift nobody wants. It's worse than a fruitcake. But right, like that, that's how we would, we would want to humanly look at this. But he's saying, no, 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 no. In the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, focused on him, living a life worthy of Christ, You've been gifted grace, suffer for righteousness' sake. And I think Paul didn't want his friends to be concerned to think that they'd done something wrong because the opposition was rising, right? Like that would be the easy conclusion to make, that we're facing the opposition, we're facing struggles, we must be doing something wrong. He's going, no, 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 look, from a jail cell, I'm here to tell you that suffering is just part and parcel with serving and and living in the kingdom of God. Because you're cutting across the grain of the world that's around you. So he didn't want them to be discouraged. He didn't want them to veer off course because of the opposition. And the Bible tells us over and over, and Paul does in other letters, that suffering is not only part of what it means to be a citizen of heaven, to follow Jesus, that it's actually something God uses to strengthen and grow his people. That's an upside-down view of suffering, right? than what we're maybe accustomed to. That in the economy and the kingdom of God, it's something that he can use to strengthen and cause perseverance to rise up and hope to carry you forward. And don't, don't lose sight of how interconnected this idea is with the unity because we're not called to suffer in isolation. It's in unity together that we bear that burden. Don't suffer alone. <laughs> Don't suffer alone. Paul uh, concludes his exhortation here. You really get a sense of, of his personal plea, like the, the personal touch, the savor that we talked about really shines through here in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, therefore, uh, you, you might think of that as saying, uh, with these things in mind, 
right? With these things in mind, with giving yourself to living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, focusing on him in unity with these things in mind, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interest of others. So he, he's saying, if you've experienced this in Christ, which the if there is, is really a little tricky, it really is like, since you've experienced this in Jesus, since you've experienced his comfort, his love, his sharing in the Spirit, since you've experienced those things, then make my joy complete by living into the unity that is yours. Live into the reality that is available to you in Christ. Have the same mind. And now you're thinking like, preacher, you're weird. I don't want to have the same mind as you. Trust me, you don't. But there's this idea that we're not all thinking the exact same things, but yet we have a common goal. We can come together as God has uniquely and beautifully made us. We come together and focus on the kingdom of God in unity. Have the same mind. Striving together, right? Having the same mind. Having the same goal. Because we have one spirit Strive together. Don't allow selfish desires. Don't allow a self-centered focus to veer you off course. Because unity has the power to break down strongholds, the power to dispel fear in the face of any opposition, but selfishness can destroy the work of God. Make my joy complete, he says. Live into the reality that is the kingdom of God. Friends, the, the vision <laughs> that Paul gives here of living the Jesus life, of the community of believers coming together, is the reality of the following Jesus today. It's the inheritance of Christ in your life, focusing on him. So as you would think about this passage today, what citizenship does your life reflect? See, because our lives are reflecting <laughs> our values, our ethics, what we believe is important. So as you think about your life today, as you take the grid of this passage and lay it over your life, what citizenship does your life reflect? I've got to be honest, like that single verse, like I, 27 has really been messing with me. Because here's how it got me. So you have this idea that no matter what, uh, conduct yourselves, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens at work today, no matter how frustrated, live your life worthy of the name Jesus Christ. In your relationships, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When your little one's up at 6.15, wired, asking questions, live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lay that grid 
over your life today. Whether it's going to school or uh, in your relationships at home or whatever that is. Live your life worthy. Use your Facebook account in a worthy way of Christ Jesus. What citizenship does your life display? It's been challenging me. Um, as I thought about this passage, I remember a story about a man named William Borden. Uh, we've shared his story here before. He was born uh, to a very wealthy family in Chicago in the late 1800s. Um, a sign of his wealth and kind of the family he was born into. When he turned 16, uh, they gave him a trip around the world at 16 years old. Uh, but at that young age, when he traveled, what caught his attention, what captivated his heart is how other people lived. When he returned home, he, he said this. He said, I have so much of everything in this life, and there are so many millions who have nothing and live in darkness. I don't think it's possible to realize it until you see the east. And he was just saying, I don't think it's possible to realize this until you've been there. And he says this. He says, I know it's no easy thing to serve the Lord, but others have been able to do so, so why not I? Why not me? So he has, he's been captivated and he wants to uh, share the news of Jesus in faraway lands and he announces his intentions, his desires to his family and his friends and they just go, what a waste of a fortune and an education. And in his Bible he writes, no reserves. So he would go on as he progressed, he went through college, he graduated uh, from Yale, but he went on into the mission field. And when he made that decision, he effectively cut himself out of his father's business, of the family inheritance. And in his Bible, he wrote, no retreat. So his heart, uh, William Borden's heart, was for the Muslim community of China. And he knew that he had to learn the language, that the first step in fulfilling that calling was to learn, to communicate, to engage with that culture. So uh, his first trip, his first stop was in Egypt to learn Arabic. But you see, while he was there, he came down with spinal meningitis, and within a month, he was gone. When they found his Bible, they found two more words written, believed to be days before his death. He simply said, no regrets. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ as a citizen of heaven. You see, to be a citizen of heaven, uh, it doesn't require you to be a missionary. Uh, you don't have to be a pastor or an evangelist to fulfill this call. You can be a, a stay-at-home mom, a doctor, a plumber, a landscaper, a truck driver. It doesn't matter because your occupation doesn't determine your citizenship in heaven. It doesn't determine the worthiness of your life. The invitation of this passage and what Paul is pointing to is that no matter what walk of life you're in, make Jesus the central focus. Make the kingdom of God come literally through you that wherever you are, you're a colony of heaven right here on earth. At work, at school, at home, when we gather together, wouldn't that be a cool sign? Fortified colony of heaven meeting on Sundays. That's this. That's the invitation of this passage.
live your life worthy in the name Jesus. How's your citizenship today? That's the one focus. We're going to unpack more throughout the letter, but he says, the one thing, live your life worthy of Jesus. How's your citizenship this morning? How how does this change your view of church? (laughs) Like, right, Paul never, I don't know whether he ever got to hear back. We don't know. But he knew that if we grasped part A, that part B was coming. That as they came together, there would be unity. Not on the color of the carpets or the style of music. There would be spirit unity. One mind and one goal and one heart to see the kingdom of God come. Are you in? (laughs) Can we live that out together? Can we live that here and now? Friends, I I don't know. uh, You're going to have to wrestle with how this lays over the grid of your life. And I, I trust the Spirit's working on that already. But I would challenge you to think about that this week. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live as if you're already in heaven. Praising and glorifying God. And as you think about the church and your involvement, we have unity together. Friends, we don't have to fear. I got to remind myself of that. We don't have to fear. Today, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Um, And no matter where you find yourself in this story today, I pray that you hear the invitation to live as a citizen, to be a citizen of heaven through Christ Jesus. We start there. That is the essence of who we are. But when we come together, there's some beautiful truths that are going to get lived out too. So as you pray, I just ask that this would be the cry of your heart today. So I would ask you to stand. Uh, We're going to recite the version, and I fumbled through this on first service. We're going to recite the version using debts. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So as you think about this today, as citizens of heaven, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So be it, Lord. So be it. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.